Well, grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5 as we get into God's Word together. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I hope you have a pen. I hope you have a bulletin. I hope you are ready with large ears asking to hear from God this morning as His Word is opened up. We want to be receptive. We want to let the Lord speak to us individually uh, and as a church. So I hope you're, you're saying to the Lord with your actions, speak, bring it. Uh, let me start by asking you this question. How many of you, when you were growing up, ever read a choose-your-own-adventure book? Choose-your-own-adventure. Come on, children of the 80s, hold your hands up nice and high. Choose-your-own-adventure. The way they worked is you started reading, and then there was a dilemma. You had to make a choice. Do you walk into the dark, gloomy cave and chase the ghost who just promised you eternal life? Or... Do you dive off the cliff into the river and hope to survive the plunge? And you're like, I don't know. What do I do? And if you were a decisive person like me, you just picked and read on and you usually died pretty quickly. Am I right? If you're an indecisive person, you peeked ahead and you cheated. Well, what's in the cave? I want to just kind of see before I make the choice. Did you ever cheat? Huh? But in the end, you know, you wanted to find the happy ending. Am I right? Uh, but it was hard because you had to make choices all along the way. Um, Today's sermon kind of feels like you're reading uh, a choose-your-own-adventure book in the Bible, because what's going on is Pastor Timothy has some tough choices to make in helping people in his church in Ephesus, and he's not quite sure where these people's lives are going. And so the Apostle Paul gives him some guidance and saying, all right, if you make this choice, here's where it's going to go. If you, if you help this person, here's where it's going to go. What we're going to get from the text this morning is gold, because we're going to find out as individuals and as a church the best way to help people in need. And specifically, the camera zooms in to women in need. How do, how do we really help women in need? What choices should we make? What should we avoid as we're learning to help people who are truly in need? This is a big deal because we want to be more than a truth church. We want to be a loving church. It's a good spot for an amen. And we want to be more than a truth church where you come and get your dose of Bible every week. Right? We want to be a loving church that knows how to love others. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, you are loving and you're faithful. And your church should exemplify your love to those in need. We know of your care for orphans and widows. We know of your care for those who are poor. And we ask that as a church, you would form our hearts to know when to help, how to help, who to help, that we might love, that we might show your love to a world that needs it desperately. We pray that you would form this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. We're continuing uh, a passage that began last week, so it kind of just picks up right there. But last week what we talked about is how to, um, how to correct or encourage uh, older an older man or an older woman in the faith in the church, and then how to love your family. How to love your family, your church family. That's kind of the theme of the passage here. And in verse 9, that thought continues. It says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Uh, The beginning here talks about what a godly woman looks like. How to identify a godly woman. 
Why does the Bible go there first? Because there was trouble in Ephesus figuring out who was a true Christian, who wasn't. There was false teaching going rampant through the church. And because of that, there were people coming asking the church for help. And it wasn't even clear if they were Christians or not. And, and the Bible wants to make sure the church is truly helping those who are true believers um, and are truly in need. True believers who are truly in need. So it begins by helping us figure out what a godly woman is. Um, you could write this down. The first thing we see here is a portrait of a godly woman. As we're looking to help fellow Christians in the faith first, what, is a, what does a godly woman even look like? Um, now, a little background also of what's going on in Ephesus is there were widows who were young or old, who were truly in need, who were being neglected by their families. All right, now that should break your heart. All right, you should know that God's heart is for the widow, right? Throughout the Old Testament and the New, God is consistently describing himself as someone who sees those uh, that are being overlooked by other people. Um, in fact, Psalm 68, 5 says, He is father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God wants us to see him as a God who's looking upon the widow and the orphan and those who are in the poorest conditions and desiring to reach out to them with help. So there were people, widows, orphans, in need in the church, and they were being overlooked or neglected by their immediate family, and they truly needed help. And here the Bible is saying, Pastor Timothy, you better be all over that. You better be all over that. But it gets complicated because there were other younger or older widows who had immediate family members who could help, believers perhaps who should help, and they needed to be encouraged, hey, you need to take the first step here and care for your family. And then there was even another group of people, young and old widows, who were taking advantage of their family and taking advantage of the church. And they had no intention of walking with Christ or being responsible in their love for their children and their families. They just wanted the handout and they wanted to go on and live however they wanted to live. And here, we have to watch out for that kind of setup where that's what they want. So beginning that, Apostle Paul here says, let me talk to you first about the kind of woman that we are going to um, help regularly. It says in verse 9, let a widow be enrolled. What does that mean? There's several interpretations um, some scholars think that means enrolled in some sort of a ministry-like position in the church so that like, you take a vow of staying unmarried. I don't think that's it. I think it simply means being enrolled on the list of people who receive monthly assistance from the church. Meaning they're on the list, we help them whatever they need every month. And so here it sounds like the Bible's saying, well, okay, let a widow be put on that list where we're going to help you pay your bills every month, but she's got to be like, you know, 60 and above, like not planning to really start a family again, um, and she truly needs that help. He's just giving him a starting point to decide who gets on that list. But then he starts also figuring in, you know, is she even a believer? Is there fruit in her life that she's just not coming for the handout, but she actually is a true believer? Um, women, what you find here is uh, one of the best descriptions in the New Testament of what a godly woman looks like. And the first thing it says is this, write this down, devote yourself to one man in all purity. If you want to fit the description of a godly woman, uh, devote yourself to one man in all purity. It says, having been the wife of one husband, uh, having been the wife of one husband, a woman of one man. The description here of a woman who fits the description of a godly woman showing the fruit of, a, of, of truly walking with Christ is someone who is sexually pure, faithfully devoted to her husband for life. She shows her devotion to Christ by showing her devotion to her husband. 
And she has a track record of that faithfulness. And you know what, Timothy? That's a godly woman. That's a woman who we're going to help. You know, marriage is big in the Bible. You know, marriage is under attack in the culture, right? What does the Bible say about marriage? Well, it's God's idea. It's God's idea. It wasn't some sort of a social construct that came about in the late Bronze Age by people who were trying to figure out a better way to to make it through society. Uh, The Bible begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding, Christ and his bride, the church. Marriage bookends the Bible. And so marriage is supposed to be an idea, a display of Christ's love for his church. That's why Christians are supposed to show that loving devotion to one spouse for life because that shows and models Christ's love for his church. God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman for life. Old Testament and New, consistently, that's what God's plan is. And in most circumstances, marriage should be considered permanent by the Christian, regardless of what the courts say. Because God's Word says that most marriages and, and all marriages at the beginning should be gone into as permanent. It's something that God does. He unites a man and a woman so that they become one flesh for life. And here the godly woman knows that, and she's devoted herself to one man in all purity. Our church is going to do a much better job this year at strengthening marriages. Because while God unites us at the beginning of that relationship and makes us one, there's a whole lot of construction that needs to be done in the human heart to make that bond what God intends it to be. Every marriage is really under construction. And so if you feel like, yeah, you know what, there's some work that needs to be done in our marriage, hey, join the club. That's true for every marriage. And our church helps helps to strengthen marriage already. We're going to do a better job of that uh, this year. But let me just say this. If you feel like, you know what, we need help. Like, we need help. Hey, we help people all the time, all right? There's There's nothing spiritual about pretending everything is fine and you know, maybe you've got a little knot you need help untying. Maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a giant boulder blocking the road and you need cranes to come in and help lift this thing out. Hey, listen, we help people all the time. Maybe it's time to just make the call and say, you know what, we need a little help. And, and, and as a woman, maybe you need to initiate that conversation as your way of saying, hey, I'm devoted to you for life, but we need some help, all right, if we're going to go the distance. A portrait of a godly woman. She's devoted herself to one man for life. That's God's plan that honors the Lord. It goes on to say this. We're reading here in verse 9. It says, Having been the wife of one husband, verse 10, and having a reputation for good works. And then it kind of lists those good works hereafter. A reputation for good works, like what? Well, she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So there's a couple things featured here. Write this down. Devote yourself to your family. Talks about how she raises up her kids. So she's devoted herself to her husband. She's devoted herself to her family. Um, And it doesn't mean she's a perfect mom. Because there's no such thing as a perfect mom. And all the women said, Amen. Even Jesus' mama, handpicked from heaven, screwed up all the time. How would it feel if you were raising the Messiah and you forgot him on vacation? They just left him in Jerusalem. And it took them a few days to figure it out. All right? You on your worst day, maybe you didn't leave a kid behind for a couple. Maybe you did. Hey, all right, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, there's no such thing as a perfect mom. So I'm not trying to increase your mom guilt 
right? I'm not trying to say you better be a perfect mom or you're not a godly woman. Hey, that's not what I'm saying at all. Every parent screws up. Some parents are worse than others. we got to admit that. Am I right? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel on his uh, late night show challenged parents to do something cruel and unusual. Did you see this? He challenged parents to give their kids uh, a Christmas present that they could open before Christmas. But he challenged them to make it a really bad present just to see what happens. All right, isn't that cruel? So check it out. Here's what some moms did to their poor children. What? What is it? Well, why'd you throw it on the floor? It's a Barbie. You broke my heart. A car, yeah. Maybe on Christmas Day, Santa will bring you a car. <laughs> broccoli. Oh, what's the matter? Don't you like broccoli? You guys bored to stuck, and you guys are studying the worst. <laughs> Just going to say it, some kids are easier to raise than others, am I right? Hey, listen, we all feel like failures as parents numerous times. It's even worse when you did the right thing and your kids still aren't happy and they make you feel like you're a bad mom when you did the right, right? That's when it's the worst. But, so listen, hear me out. When I say this woman here, this godly woman here has devoted herself to her children, I'm not saying she's like even a gold medal mom. I'm just saying she displayed consistent love, devotion, sacrifice for her children, all right? And I'd like to think you're on that page. I'd like to think that you're already making that devotion to your kids, right? And, uh, and this is the ideal woman. This is the godly woman. And there's some merit to how she did it, right? She didn't neglect or abandon or abuse her kids. She displayed sacrifice, some sort of obligation. And hey, this is a defining trait of a godly woman. She just displays that devotion uh, to her children over time. Timothy, Timothy, hey, as you're figuring out who to help, I mean, did she display that devotion to her husband, right? Was she faithful there? Is she devoted to her kids, raising them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, all right? The picture's coming together here. Uh, here's the next one. It goes on to say uh, in verse, uh, well, verse 10, having a reputation for good works, brought up children, and then it says, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the affliction, devoted herself to every good work. So now she's not just loving her husband, She's not just loving her children, she's loving her church. She's shown hospitality and opening the door and letting people in, right? So write this down, devote yourself to your church family. I have a feeling in principle, women, you would say, yeah, I'm committed to, you know, loving my husband and uh, I'm sure I'm committed to my kids and church family, yeah. The challenge is how do I juggle all three, right? How do I make everybody happy? That's the challenge. I don't know that any one of you would dig in your heels and say, I'm never having church people over in my house. It's just the juggling act. How do I make sure all three of those right commitments constantly come together and one of them doesn't fall off the table? So devote yourself to your church family. Um, it uses the word here, hospitality, shown hospitality. Um, that means that this woman, this ideal woman, is not loveless towards the church. She's got an open door. She's got an open heart. This is a woman who's not solitary. This is a woman who's not walled off. This is a woman who's not isolated, distant, selfish, anonymous, unplugged, alone. 
That's not God's will for you as a woman. That's not God's will for us as a church family. That's not God's will. His will is that there would be hospitality. That's God's plan. So has she displayed that open door, open home? I love my church family. I'm going to build that relationship up, right? That shows. And this is a challenge to everybody who thinks I can just be a Christian on my time, in my way, with my Bible, and do it the way that I want. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. Uh, you're united to other Christians, and we're a family. And so to amputate yourself from the family brings your salvation into question. If you never want to be around church people and you want to be a Lone Ranger Christian, the Bible flat out says you're going against the spiritual grain of your conversion because God made you a family. So we're supposed to devote ourselves to our church family. It says here, uh, interesting phrase, has showed hospitality so your home's open to others. Then it says, has washed the feet of the saints. Wash the, what does that mean? Wash the feet of the saints. Wash the, are you a foot person or are you not a foot person? Most people are not feet people. Dirty feet, smelly feet, filthy socks. You're just like, ugh. Back in Jesus' day, though, if small group was at your house and your small group showed up, they had sandals on and they walked through who knows what on the way there. And as the hostess, you had the obligation to actually clean their feet off for them before everything started. How does that make you feel about your church family? If when they came over, you'd have to scrub whatever's between their toes before you went and served them the meal. Look, this is a picture of dirty feet. What if you had like 17 pair of those dirty feet to wash? How motivated to have people over would you be? Uh, and, and here in the, in the Bible, the church is met from house to house. And so the women in particular, once everybody got over, had a lot of work to do. All right, refrigeration, what's that? Like you had to catch your food that day or like go to the marketplace and buy it, right? It was so much work. Hear what I'm saying here. They had 20 times the excuses you and I had today to avoid hospitality. It was a lot harder to have people over back then than it is today. And they they still did it. They still had small group church in their house. They still met, right? And it was a lot of work. Uh, so, so let's get the excuses out. We've got a portrait of a godly woman here who devotes herself to one man in all purity, who devotes herself to her family, and who devotes herself to her church family, right? And all three of those things somehow, not perfectly, but increasingly fill her life. She works for Christ. This is an essential part of being a Christian. She's busy helping others. It goes on to say that she's cared for the afflicted. She's devoted herself to every good work. She doesn't allow herself to just end her her service of Christ when her to-do list is done. She actually sees the needs of others and she springs into action in some form of ministry in her church to help serve other people. This is a portrait of a woman of Christ. Devote yourself to one man. Devote yourself to your family. Devote yourself to your church family, serving them faithfully. It's a good spot for you to evaluate, hey, am I in a small group and am I on a ministry team? Right? We've got high and low-demand ministry teams. We've got small groups all around the community. It's really hard for you to say, yes, I'm devoted to my church family, but I don't see them at all during the week and I don't do anything for any one of them in any way. It's hard to make that true. So let me just challenge you to work for Christ and walk with Christ in a small group. We challenge everyone to get into a small group here at Harvest. That's the portrait of a godly woman 
Then he goes on to describing what a, god, what a godless woman is like. All right, so reading on in verse 11. Write this down. This is a portrait of an ungodly woman. Verse 11, portrait of an ungodly woman. It says, but refuse to enroll. All right, so, so these, these women are not getting on the list of we're going to pay your bills every month for you. But refuse to enroll younger widows. Okay, that, that's confusing a little bit. Because being a widow back then was one of the hardest places to be. You know, this woman's now single and she's trying to raise her kids. um, And she's younger, which means she's at least under 60, but probably even younger than that. She's probably in her 20s or maybe 30s or early 40s. And kids are still somewhat dependent on her. And and, and here the Bible says refuse to enroll her as we're going to pay everything for you every month. Like your long-term plan is us. That That seems... unloving. Why? Verse 11, it says, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Saying what they should not. What you're reading here is a description of the worst case scenario. Okay, worst case scenario, to be, listen, if you put these younger widows on the list and the church is her plan and we cover everything for her every month, all right, worst case scenario, we don't even know if she's a Christian yet and suddenly she's out and she's living a promiscuous life because she doesn't have to do anything all day long because the church is, you know, and she's going house to house and she's just causing trouble. And, so, and we realize that she never was really even devoted to providing for her family. In fact, she's taking advantage of her family and her church family, and now the church is enabling her. All right? So this is like worst-case scenario. And Paul's like, hey, listen, what I found is it's best not to do that. It's best to help her get her life situated in a way where we rebuild that again. And, and it should be a last, you know, last resort to say, hey, we're your plan from now until Christ comes back. Just come here every month and we'll take care of everything for you. All right? But this woman who's described here by the Apostle Paul is actually not a Christian woman. All right? Some, some scholars think that what was going on here is Paul was just saying to Timothy, well, don't enroll them on this list of widows who serve in the church and do some sort of ministry because they have to make some vow where they're not going to marry. And then, uh-oh, Romeo comes along, and then they want to marry him, and then they, like, break that vow they made to Christ. I don't think that's a good interpretation of what's going on here. All right, it doesn't seem like a plausible setup that they would even do that with younger widows, okay? It seems basically what's happening here is the church is just saying, we're not going to say every month you come to us and we pay all your bills, all right? We're not putting you on the list of widows who can, who can draw a subsidy from the church every month. We're not going to do that. We're going to help you in a different way to rebuild a foundation for your life because you've got a long way to go here. I think that's what's happening. And worst case scenario, a, a woman who got put on that list and who showed up to church every month and got her hand out and then had no desire to live for Christ, it shows this is a non-believing woman taking advantage of a church family. All she's coming for is the money. And she's going off and disgracing the gospel with the way she's living. And the, and the Bible wants to avoid that. All right, The Bible wants to avoid that. So this is a portrait of an ungodly woman. And she's described as being either promiscuous. Um, earlier in the text, right? it says uh, last week, it says in verse 6, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And, 
And it talks about the woman who lives for pleasure. Um, And here we find a woman who wants to go on and remarry, but the fear is that the person she marries is not a Christian. And so her obligation is to worship with him, right? And so because she marries the wrong man, he takes her away from the church, and she's now worshiping his gods. She's now going to his form of worship, and she's coming to church for her handout before she goes and worships a false god. All right? And maybe this had happened already, and the Apostle Paul's like, hey, we've got to avoid this, an ungodly woman taking advantage uh, of the church. The church has to be careful who we financially help because it could hurt. The help can hurt. And there's some truth here being applied to people who are really in need to give us discerning hearts over how we can help and who we can help. And this portrait of an ungodly woman um, shows women, uh, you know, a little test. Am I really coming for Christ? Am I really walking with Him? Am I really a believer? Or am I kind of in it for the wrong things? So write this down, portrait of an ungodly woman. Don't sacrifice your pure devotion to Christ. Don't sacrifice your pure devotion to Christ. The first concern here listed in verse 11 is uh, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This is a woman who marries Mr. Wrong. First fear for a woman, a widow who's plunged into the despair of losing her husband and is now trying to piece her life back together. First and greatest warning God's word gives you, don't marry poorly. All right, I knew a woman in a previous church um, who had married a non-believer and I, I observed over the course of many years just her pain in praying for him and not being equally yoked, and yet she, she made it, she devoted herself to him, and he got sick and he passed away, right? And she's got two kids, middle school and high school, and now she has a chance to start over. And what does she do? She starts dating another non-believer. And I just start asking, why? Why? I've heard you pray for your first husband. I've heard you anguish over a man who doesn't share in your faith. And, and why would you go and do that again? And hey, this is a word of truth to a woman who's in need. Don't let the grief or don't let the pain or don't let the crisis cloud your judgment. Um, don't marry Mr. Wrong. It's not God's will for you. This is a, listen to how it's described, this woman, because she's marrying someone who's of another faith who will take this woman to worship another God. This, this is dragging her away from Christ. Her passion for security or love or intimacy is dragging her away from Christ. This is true of younger women who've never been married, single women who want to be married. This is true, just not of widows, but of other women who hope to marry. The man who comes along might not be from God. And the passion that's real and sincere can actually be a passion that drags you away from your Savior. And you're being warned about that. Don't sacrifice your pure devotion to Christ. We're supposed to actually direct all those passions um, in intimate love toward our passion for Christ. I love how Tim Keller talks about it in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. If you're looking for a book to read about what marriage is supposed to be like, you know, if you're single, praying for that man to come along, read the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. It's the best book I've ever read on marriage. But he says this, he says, passion should lead to a wedding promise. And then the promise makes the passion richer and deeper. I love that. The passion you feel toward a person should lead to a wedding promise. 
And then that promise, you and another person joined by Christ in devotion to Him, makes that passion deeper throughout your life. The trouble is, um, women and men can believe the lie that I have to somehow hide Jesus or walk away from Him to find happiness. That's simply not true. That's not true. Your passions should not draw you away from Christ. You should not marry an unbeliever. You should not abandon purity before marriage to try and keep him or to try and find out if he's the right one. These are all compromises Christians make, and it takes them away from Christ. Portrait of an ungodly woman. Hey, don't sacrifice your pure devotion to Christ. Um, Or it says you'll incur condemnation. God says he will judge the adulterer, the sexually immoral. Um, And over time, this could be a way that shows you weren't even a Christian. You abandoned your former faith. You You were willing to even walk away from the church in Christ for this man who doesn't even worship your Savior. And women, listen, you've already found the most important man in your life. It's Christ. You're finding number two now. And make sure you let number two know who number one always will be. And that's your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Portrait of an ungodly woman. Don't sacrifice pure devotion to Christ. And then write this down. Don't become an idle divider. Don't become an idle divider. The concern here is that the church would give handouts and then women would just fill their time with nothing, with nonsense, and not be responsible. It says here in verse uh, 13, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not say. Um, Idle means not productive or responsible. Uh, Not productive, you're not working at all to provide for yourself. Not responsible. You're not taking care of your children. You're, uh, you're sloughing them off on other people. You're failing to even do the very basics. And you're taking handouts from other people who will enable that lifestyle. The Bible is against that plan. The Bible is very against that plan. Check this out. This is a firefighter who's trying to be idle and do the least. <laughs> what? What? What is he doing? Oh, I'm just going to have a seat here. There's not really a... Something's wrong with that picture, right? And the Bible says here something's wrong with the picture of a woman who, even as a widow, who's in true need, who won't be responsible and who won't work. Um, and maybe you have a family member, we talked about this last week, who's hard to love because they take advantage of your kindness, right? A family member who's hard to love because you give and then what they do is they don't produce anything responsible with what you've given. And, you're, and you start to struggle emotionally. Well, is it the Christian thing to just keep giving it? Well, not, not always, Because if the person isn't going to be responsible and isn't going to have obligations to the family, if they're just taking advantage, then they're becoming an idle divider. And the Bible condemns that. She shouldn't become a gossip. Gossip means walking around babbling nonsense. In this case, it could be the false teachers were zeroing in on women like this who had time and were troublemakers, and and the false teachers were starting with them. And then these women were walking around and sharing it with other women. They're not supposed to do that. And they're not supposed to be busybodies using up all their time to just meddle in other people's affairs. Um, This is the portrait of a woman who refuses to work for her family, herself, or her church. She will not serve others. And in, in not serving others, she's proving she will not serve Christ. She wants others to serve her, her family, her children, and her church. She also refuses to build strong, deep, loving relationships. And instead, she walks around tearing apart good, healthy relationships and creates conflict. The motto of this woman is take and break. She takes and she breaks. And this is not God's plan for any woman in this world. The Bible makes a distinction between 
the godly widow who needs help and is a true believer, and the godless widow who's not at all interested in following Christ and causes trouble. And the church is supposed to help the one and rebuke the other and get her on Christ's plan for her life. Don't become an idle divider. You ever break anything that's precious to someone else? You ever do that? My son Jared was running around with, I tell him he can't run with my iPad, but sometimes he does. He was running with my iPad, and guess what happened? <laughs> Flew through the air on the way into the kitchen, and I mean, this thing landed flat, face down on the tile. And I was like, oh my goodness, he broke it. I'm going to kill one of the kids, Lord. Uh, and I went over there, and I was like, what did you do? And I picked it up, and thankfully, it didn't crack. Somehow, it didn't crack. All right, But you know that feeling when someone breaks something that is valuable to you, right? The danger here is that this woman who finds herself in need uh, doesn't wake up to Christ's plan for her life. And instead, she walks around taking things precious to God and slamming them on the floor. She throws her family on the floor. She throws her kids on the floor. She throws the church on the floor. She throws the Bible on the floor. And you know what? It's not the Christian thing to do to keep enabling her to do that. That's a little truth applied to a person who needs love. The portrait of a godly woman. She devotes herself to one man in all purity. She devotes herself to her family, to her church family. portrait of an ungodly woman. She sacrifices her pure devotion to Christ. She becomes an idol divider. And then there's a close out here with some advice for young women. You could write this down. Advice for young women, verse 14 to 16. So Paul now says, here's what I tell them to do. Here's the advice that I give them. This advice, while originally given to young widows in need, also applies to any single woman, right? Any single woman, any woman who has a biblical divorce, any woman who is a widow, this applies to you, all right? Well, what's the advice? It says in verse 14, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. All right, it begins by saying this. Write this down. Get married and raise your family. Get married and raise your family. Advice for young women. Paul says, you know what? Honestly, what I get around to eventually, when the time is right, after the grief is passed, what I tell them is this. God has that door open to you still. You've heard the sermons about singleness and some people are devoted to that. Listen, don't get all up in your head about that. Very, very, very few people have a calling to be single. If you've already been married, that almost shows that you don't have that calling. All right. So sometimes people spiritualize being frozen relationally. And they think, well, I don't, I don't even know if God would ever want that, and I just am not even going to think about it. And All right? The Bible says the routine advice the Apostle Paul would give younger widows is get married, get married and raise your children. Like, get married and raise your children. It's not saying you have to, but it's saying God has that door open to you. And you know what? That is probably the primary way he's going to help you, is he's going to give you a husband who's going to take care of you. Don't marry poorly. But God's got that door open, and he wants to provide for you. Hey, listen, this is really something that maybe God wants you to hear. Maybe, maybe you've needed permission to even consider it. You know, and I'm just telling you the Bible says so. Maybe you've not even entertained the thought that God probably has someone for you. But what I'm saying to you is the routine advice 
given to young widows back then was, God's got that door open. When the time's right, when you feel like you're ready, pray about it, and he's going to provide a husband for you. That's encouraging. That's advice for young women. God's got that door open for you. Get married and raise your family. Um, Maybe for some of you who haven't been married yet, and you're like, well, I've been waiting. You know, I mean, when's God going to... Hey, listen, don't spiritualize inaction, all right? God's got that door open for you. You don't have to be frozen. Think, well, maybe I got the gift of singleness. Maybe I should just wait and see it. No, no. You know, in most cases, God's got someone for you. So be as active as you want in trying to find it and involve the church community along the way. Yes, there's a time to talk about the calling to singleness, a season of singleness. But in most cases in the New Testament, the advice was pray about it. God will provide, get married, raise, raise a family. That's in most cases what God has planned for you. And then it says this, manage your household wisely. Write that down. Manage your household wisely. Uh, it, says in, it says in verse 14, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The adversary there means Satan, and occasion for slander means prove through this trial that you're a follower of Christ. It says, for some have already strayed after Satan. Hey, hey, you've seen in other churches the woman who lost something that was so dear to her in life, and then we watched her walk away from the thing that was even more important. She left Christ. She left the church. You know what? She was really never a believer. Otherwise, she would have stayed. She abandoned the faith. She strayed after Satan. And now it's hurt the gospel because we helped her and we knew her and we loved her. And she said, I'm done with this. I'm done with Christ. I'm done with church. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. The challenge here is to use this period of grief, to use this season of change, um, to manage your household wisely, meaning first and foremost, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, right? Uh, This isn't going to take us away from Christ. We're following him and we're going to give Satan no occasion for slander. We will not become his tool to hurt the church and the gospel. We're not going to walk away from him or stray into temptation. Um, Again, the challenge here is that you don't marry a fool and that you don't marry an unbeliever and that you don't go off into promiscuity, right? In other words, your trial doesn't become a license to sin, but rather it becomes an opportunity for God to go to work in your heart in a special way. Manage your household wisely. Manage your household wisely. Then it goes on to say, get help from your family. Write that down. Get help from your family. It says in verse 16, if any believing woman, all right, so now we've established that this is a believer. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Uh, actually, in this verse, here's what's going on. There's a believing woman who sees a woman in need in her family, and she cares for them so that the church doesn't get burdened, but that the church can care for those who are truly widows. So you should turn first to your family. And I covered this a little bit last week also, but listen, women, when you're in need, um, you should primarily get help from other women. All right? Men in the church, we're going to have a chance to reach out and help single moms. We're going to have a chance to help widows. We're going to have a chance to help women who are in need, right? But listen, men, listen, this is really important. Men, listen, you should not be the primary caregiver for any woman in need. She shouldn't be coming to your house. She shouldn't be sitting down at your table. You shouldn't be taking her out to coffee. You shouldn't be the ones parenting her children. That's inappropriate. God doesn't want you to be her hero. He's her hero. All right? Are you hearing me, men? Because you will suddenly find yourself seduced by good passion into doing wrong things. 
You have no business being one-on-one with that woman and putting yourself in harm's way. It should be women who are stepping up and looking at these women in need and providing the primary help for them. All right? All right? This is protecting the men and the women in our church. So don't put yourself in harm's way in the name of being a hero. It should be women who are primarily reaching out to these women in need. But if you are a woman in need and you need this help, um, it should be women in our church who are rallying around you first and foremost. Okay, but your church should help you too. This is a strange passage because it's like meandering and there's all of these like this woman, that woman, this woman. It's not really a passage about how the church should help needy women, but at the end there's a little blip about that. It's a really weird passage to teach and to learn. Okay, And there's a lot of truth that's kind of dished out to people who are in need of a lot of grace. It's a very unique sermon and uh, I'm trusting the Lord is using it in His wisdom. But at the end it does say this. It says, let the church not be burdened Right? So there are people who we are not going to help every month so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Write this down. If you're truly a widow, truly a believer, truly in need, get help from your church. You need help from your family. You need help from your church. These are those who are established as being in true need. These are those who maybe their family can't or won't help. These are those who are exemplifying a faithful walk with Christ. And hey, church, we need to pour out the love of Christ onto these people. This is, an, this is a wake-up call to our small group leaders, our flock leaders, our elders, and our deacons. Who are we overlooking? All right, our staff members, our ministry leaders, who are we overlooking? These people are on Christ's heart. They should be at the front of the line of people who we see. Last week I said we have to know to care, and we have to care to help. If we don't know, we can't care. If we don't care, we can't help. We need to know what's going on in the lives of these people. We need to care, and we need to help. Our church needs to get better at this. I think we need an entire ministry devoted to helping out people uh, in need, single moms and widows. Um, I think we need to pour out uh, the love of our church on these folks who are in need, and we, get to, we need to get more organized in doing that. If you have a heart for this, tell me, because we're going to build this ministry team this year so we get even better at caring for these people. So, hey, Portrait of a Godly Woman. Let's stay in pursuit of that. Portrait of an ungodly woman. Hey, wow, wake up call. Let's repent of that. And advice for young women? Maybe God needed to get you some of that this morning. But for the last two weeks, God has tried to give us a challenge to love our church family and to love our family. So the way we're going to close is this. I'm going to give us a chance to pray. And two weeks now, God has been talking to us about the same thing. Who in your family, who in your church family needs you to help? Who are you overlooking? What family member are you neglecting? And how can you spring into action this week to bring the love of Christ to that family member? Let's close our eyes right now and take a moment to lift some of our family or church family members up to the Lord. Don't pray for yourself today. Think of someone else in your family or your church family, and I want you to take a moment right now privately to pray for someone you love. Let's pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your immediate family. Pray for your extended family. Who's in need?
Pray for the person who's taking advantage of the hospitality of others. Never stop praying for them. Pray for wisdom and knowing how to help them. Pray for advice from the Lord on how you can meet real needs this week. Pray for wisdom and understanding and knowing what to say. How to encourage. Jesus, you want your church to be loving. How tender you were with children widows. You saw them. You watched them. You spoke about them. You performed miracles for them. Give us a heart, Lord, for those who are truly in need. Help us first to show that love to our family and relatives, our own children, spouses. Then help that love that radiates with the fire of Christ to then burn brightly for others to see. May that spread into the church and into the world around us as we help those who are afflicted. Give us as a church an opportunity in the world to care for those who have no hope, who desperately need care. Build these ministries up, Lord, by your spirit. Raise up men and women who are called into these areas of service who want to work hard for Christ in this area so that we can truly make a difference in the hearts of others. We lift this all up to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your grace towards us. As we were in great need, we were fatherless, and God our Father adopted us into his family. Thank you for your great love. We pray this in your name.